Welcome to Jerusalem Studio Podcast. Join us to discuss the latest updates from Israel and the region. Shalom and welcome to Jerusalem Studio. For the last two years, Israel has been engulfed in a political crisis with three election circles ending in a deadlock temporarily broken by the decision by the main challenger to Prime Minister Bimi Netanyahu to join his government as a nominal equal partner. The price paid by Benny Gantz was a split down the middle in his blue and white party, leaving him powerless to compete with Netanyahu in or out of cabinet. Less than seven months into their government, they're all about to call for a new election, tentatively timed for next spring in March, with no end in sight for Jerusalem's political crisis. To analyze this topic, we're joined from elsewhere here in Jerusalem by Mr. Mitchell Barak. Thank you. Also joining us from the southern uh, Israeli city of Belsheva is Dr. Jonathan Freeman, who is a lecturer at the Political Science Department at the Hebrew University in Jerusalem. Thank you for joining us. Shalom. And also joining uh, us in the studio is our TV7 analyst, Mr. Amir Oren. Welcome back. Give us a broader understanding on the latest developments pertaining to Jerusalem's political situation currently. Well, regrettably, there are no vaccinations against political paralysis. And Israel uh, has been, as you said, beset by this uh, problem um, ever since late uh, 2018. And we are um, going uh, most probably to be involved in the fourth election um, in two and a half uh, years time. Now, there are uh, several possible scenarios uh, how we get there. One has to do with the budget, if it is not uh, passed uh, by uh, Christmas Eve um, because of the Israeli law. Another has to do with some parliamentary move by blue and white. But this is uh, really secondary. The problem is that uh, the hopes invested uh, in the government when uh, it was formed, even though uh, both partners declared to the high court that they do not believe each other, that they're setting up a mechanism to safeguard against any loophole which the other guy might try to exploit. Nevertheless, it didn't work. Uh, There are charges and counter charges. It can't go on. And therefore, sometime early next year, we will have elections. Dr. Freeman, how do you perceive the current situation in Jerusalem? Well, I think it's really a battle of the Benjamins. I think that in the end, uh, we're seeing that many, many parties and individuals uh, want to take advantage of the current situation when it comes to the uh, pandemic, to a lot of the economic hardships. I think that some of the individuals who are pushing for elections are looking at the polls to see that maybe Netanyahu is losing uh, his uh, power. They're seeing other individuals like Bennett uh, who are rising in power. So I think part of what Uh, people are seeking to do is really change the current uh, political reality and maybe they'll be able to do so through a election uh, that will bring about a new result that might bring a new government without Netanyahu as its head. Mr. Balak, your perspective? Well, you know, I think the the first thing is is there needs to be a budget passed and that was a kind of agreement and part of the requirement of this government was that this budget would be passed and it hasn't. 
Uh, Netanyahu is dragging his feet because he doesn't, once he passes the budget for this year and then the one for next year, which is really what the economy needs in a, you know, coronavirus uh, type crisis, uh, he loses the chance to really uh, exit from his agreement with uh, with Benny Gantz. So that's certainly playing on his mind. He um, he doesn't really want to hand over the premiership to Benny Gantz. So uh, and he thinks he's going to gain even after, you know, his inept hand handling of the coronavirus over the past number of months. Uh, he thinks he's stronger because of the Bahrain and United Arab Emirates uh, deal and because of, um, uh, you know, the, the developments in the region. On the other hand, I give Gantz a lot of credit at this point because Gantz is the one who's holding him to it and saying you have to pass a budget or we're going to elections. And Gantz has everything to lose because he broke away from his party with Yeshatid. So he lost that opportunity to run again with him. And he's looking really horribly in the polls, meaning his party is crashing. They, I don't even think they're going to pass the double digits at this point. So he has everything to lose, but yet he still got to the point where he can't, you know, call, he can't work with Netanyahu, and he believes that Netanyahu is not serious about anything from the agreement. Mr. Olin, there were three separate cycles, uh, which were actually not very different from the cycle when there was a viable government uh, operating, just minus one uh, party within the coalition uh, of uh, uh, former defense minister Viktor Lieberman, Israel Beteno, of course, which was... Uh, 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 basically frustrated with uh, uh, Netanyahu's promises on, on certain things that uh, didn't come across too well, they uh, moved to the opposition. And since then, one after the other, it seems like there's not really a big shift in uh, the current political uh, scene in Israel, other than uh, if uh, election will be held in the near future. For the first time since Israel's inception, the ruling party of uh, uh, Ben Gurion at the time, the Labour, is going to disappear in the next election, according to the latest polls. Uh, what can we understand from this stalemate? And uh, is this just one cycle after another until we run ourselves into the ground? Uh, that uh, may very well uh, be the result. Uh, hopefully it will not, but uh, it's a war of attrition. And what uh, Jonathan and Mitchell described is really um, a tug of war between Gantz and uh, Netanyahu on who is going to be the interim prime minister or the prime minister during the run-up to the election. Because there are various clauses if someone is uh, held uh, to blame for early elections, the other guy takes over or remains um, a prime minister. So this is why uh, they're trying to juggle uh, the, the budget and uh, the other uh, measures. Um, there is a discrepancy between the situation as it is right now in the Knesset and the polls, especially regarding Naftali Bennett. And this is why uh, it has whetted his appetite, because um, he is the right uh, wing of the opposition. He is to the right of the current government, but he is not in cahoots with the other parts of the opposition because he stands to gain from elections according to the polls. And therefore, he um, refused to say whether following the elections he will be willing to share power with Netanyahu. Now, the um, uh, overarching event uh, behind all of that is Netanyahu's trial, um, whose major part is set to begin next February. 
Um, a few months ago, when Gantz joined Netanyahu, he gave him the best possible gift by um, allowing him to go to the high court, say that he has the support of almost 80 of the 120 members of Knesset. Therefore, this reflects the will of the voters. And even though Netanyahu has not only been indicted, but his trial already started, um, he was uh, deemed eligible. So this will hold true for the next uh, election cycle too. Um, on that regard, Netanyahu has gained from uh, what Gantz did uh, last May. I'd like to uh, refer the next question to you, Mr. Barak. You uh, served as uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu's uh, advisor in the past, uh, uh, a long while ago, nonetheless, uh, uh, you did advise him. And, and one of the points that you keep coming back to is the fact that he's very patient and waiting for opportunities to arise, uh, being very consequential uh, with regard to his uh, actions. Uh, to what degree do you think that the current situation is still within that context where he's just waiting for the right opportunity to suddenly present itself and then seize that opportunity by uh, various uh, strategic maneuvers that may not always uh, uh, be presented to his uh, political contenders. I think we see this going on now, meaning, you know, he was he, he, the first wave of the coronavirus handled brilliantly. And I think that was because he wasn't even given the mandate to form the next government. So he had to show that he's in charge, he knows what to do, and so forth. The sec by the second wave, he really had messed it up meaning there was no policy, there was no economic policy. He spent his time worrying about the annexation of parts of the West Bank and so forth, and we were caught off guard. And now what happens is he's brought these fantastic peace deals with the United Arab Emirates. Israelis are enjoying the sun and the, you know, the, the splendor of Dubai and Bahrain, and they're traveling to these places. And it's rumored he was in Saudi Arabia. So there is really, truly a breakthrough in the Middle East, which we didn't have. And that's really an achievement. So he wants, on the one hand, everyone forget the coronavirus. Let's concentrate. I'm the guy who's pr producing this new Middle East. And the longer we get from today, the more people that are going to be vaccinated with the COVID-19 vaccine, which is already coming into the country this Thursday. So he knows, as the Rolling Stones always say, time is always on his side and his, his court case can wait because as we get closer to March, or we have the elections in April or May, hundreds of thousands of Israelis will be vaccinated against COVID-19. The economy is going to start to kick back in. People are going to start to have jobs. There's going to be a certain optimism going into the spring, the Jewish holiday of Purim, of Passover, of Yom Asmod, Independence Day. And then that's where he wants to get to the election. And he thinks he's going to pick up all those people that left the Likud to go to Blue and White or to go to Naftali Bennett are going to come back to him and the people that are now committed in the with with on the polls in the on the telephone polls to vote for naftali bennett are going to find that the guy's not organized he can't put a viable really good solid list together he has all these people you know dragging on his coat from the extreme right and he's just not going to look that presentable and that's where he's going to want to be dr freeman uh, Naftali Bennett's uh, 21 mandates, if I'm not mistaken, in the last polls are 23 mandates, and it varies around the, the 20s. Uh, it seems like it's very similar to the one that uh, 
uh, a different contender who just uh, two elections ago was considered to be the kingmaker uh, pre-elections, and then he got into the election itself and suddenly didn't even pass the, the electoral threshold. I'm speaking, of course, about Feiglin, who is... Uh, uh, who was thought to be uh, uh, one of the kingmakers for the next prime minister. Now, to what degree is such a reality uh, also possible for Bennett, who just uh, two elections ago also didn't pass the electoral threshold? Is he suddenly so well-received by the general public uh, while his actual base is a small marginal group? Well, I think uh, really historically we've always seen Bennett do very well in the polls, uh, but when it came to the polling station, that came to a different result. I think that if we look at the current situation with the coronavirus, uh, we've also seen things that Bennett has said uh, that could be something that is used by the Likud campaign against him when elections are announced. Things that he said that we should do and we didn't do it. And we actually did something else that was even more successful than what he said. He, he published a book about how to beat an, an epidemic, a pandemic, how to do it. Uh, I think that in the end, many of the people who are maybe answering uh, those posters calling in uh, might not be answering the same way when the polls are opening. I also think that Bennett, uh, as we have seen, uh, changes his opinion at times with who he's going to sit with, who he's not going to sit with. In the past, he said, I'm going to be with Yale Lapid. He's my brother. And then we're seeing his uh, different answers that he's giving right now. Even just recently, he was in a, 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 I think he visited some kind of market and they asked him, Go away from Netanyahu and I'll I'll vote for you. And then he said, for what? So I think there is a, a, a big gap between what the polls project and what the polling stations project. Stolen. Two points, please. Uh, one, there is a contradiction betwi- between what Mitchell uh, said a while ago about uh, Netanyahu's being successful during the first wave. It's a mythology already being developed, uh, especially since he was in charge of uh, the entire health establishment for several years. And apparently, uh, the um, many reports showed that it was very poorly run. So uh, people can um, um, be led by his uh, marketing messages and believe it, but he did not prepare Israel for this pandemic and did not run the first wave properly. And the contradiction is that Bennett has risen in the polls because he was seen as the counterpoint to Netanyahu on the first wave, because he said, I am the defense minister at the time, let me handle it, the military and especially the uh, uh, home uh, uh, front command um, will do it. And and therefore, if one says that Netanyahu was successful, uh, how do you explain uh, Bennett's rise? Another point is that there is a lot of civic unrest which is not well reflected in the polls. All of these demonstrations that you see day in and day out, and especially Sabbath in and Sabbath out, um, they are reflecting some bitterness, some opposition to Netanyahu personally and to his policies, especially as regards the economy. Many people uh, have been unemployed. Many small businesses were closed. This must be reflected 
uh, in the elections, even though right now the polls don't show it. You're talking, of course, about the ramifications of the corona crisis as uh, uh, the economic backlash, if you will, from uh, various shutdowns has not even really emerged at this stage. And it seems that we're only nearing that. I'd like to ask you, Dr. Freeman, uh, to what degree is the Israeli public uh, uh, concerned about those ramifications, or is it just taking one day at a time? And to what degree will this be reflected on a possible election? Well, I think the coronavirus is a big has a big impact on the public. But I think if we look at what's going on around the world, uh, we see Europe, we see United States, we see many countries, which on the one hand, we say, look at our situation. But then on the other hand, we see what's their situation. It looks like there isn't a very better place to be to be in uh, compared to Israel. I think that with all the protests and with all the ramifications, I think that Israel right now is weathering the storm in a very good way compared to the world. I think uh, that could also be an impact on the relations with, between uh, the UAE and Bahrain. We saw, for example, the agreement with, Bah- with the UAE that involves a big investment in coronavirus research in Israel that the UAE chose us to do so. So I think there is a lot of trust that Israel is doing uh, what's right when it comes to the virus. I think that we see a big gap between our own situation in the world. So I think when it comes to the elections, this could be a, a very big uh, policy item on the campaigns. But I think push comes to shove. Most people will feel that that's something that the government, in the end, no matter who it was, did the best that it could. Mr. Balak? First of all, uh, you know, I'll have to agree with uh, Dr. Oren that yeah, uh, you know, there was a total negligence on the part of Netanyahu, both as prime minister and as the acting health minister for the decade that he's been in office. Meaning, you know, I'm not in any way suggesting that we were prepared in any way for uh, for this uh, virus. Uh, and the hospitals have been, you know, almost bankrupt and there haven't been uh, uh, budgets for doctors and nurses. And it's one of those things that uh, if it's not really, really broken and people aren't complaining about it, then let's not fix it. So I certainly agree with that. But as he, he was successful in marketing his success in the first wave by locking everyone down. And similar to what uh, to, to what Jonathan said, that the rest of the world was many places were collapsing. France, Italy, uh, even to a certain extent, the United States. And our numbers here were looking pretty good, both in terms of people that are catching the virus and in terms of the death rate, which was very, very low, and that our hospitals were able to have it. So but he was successful former, in doing that. The, as the a other former way press that he advisor, in, however, as a former press advisor, however, uh, you know that highlighting the, the most successful parts of each thing and not telling the whole story is a good way of uh, marketing something, as also Mr. Oren mentioned. And when we're talking about uh, borders, Israel is shut. So to close the borders in Israel is a lot easier for than European countries and the United States and, and other places around the world. And at the same time, we're talking also about a country that entered into the previous crisis. Uh, it was third from the bottom in OECD when we're talking about beds, doctors, and nurses per capita. Correct. But I would say, look, this is, as a press advisor, this is what the public sees. He sees him on the phone with the CEO of Pfizer saying, we got to get those vaccines before everyone else. And, you know, I heard that you were maybe even, you know, of Jewish heritage, and it's really important for you to send it over there. 
and we buy a few million of those. And then he gets on the phone with another, you know, pharmaceutical company and negotiates a few million more. And we're almost at the point where I think we have more vaccines than we have people in the country. So people look at that. And I will say one thing in his credit in this whole thing. And that's not even something that he's done now. Let's go back 10, 11 years ago when he became prime minister. And the biggest pandemic danger was the swine flu. And he was able to negotiate, I believe it was with Novartis, 8 million doses for the swine flu to get them in Israel and then to even put in a clause that he can return, Israel can return the unused doses. So only about 20% of Israelis, I myself and my family included, decided to get the vaccine and they returned all of them. So I give him credit during that swine flu that he took charge, that he got the vaccines and Israelis kind of didn't take it seriously. This time around, he's had many, many failures along this coronavirus, not only healthcare, but the economy. The economy, we don't have a budget. It's a simple thing that psychologically even would give people confidence that we are on the right track. And he hasn't even done that. Besides that, people are not getting budgets. People do not have money to, to, to even go to the grocery store, some of them. Do not have money to pay mortgages, rents. There's serious problems, and he has not handled that correctly. But for his base, which is the right of center, religious, Sephardic base, getting on the phone and arguing with the head of Pfizer and getting on the phone and arguing with the other pharmaceutical CEOs and getting those viruses in and visiting the, the places where they're going to come in. And I'm sure he's going to meet one of these airplanes. If it's not this week, he's going to meet the airplane coming in. Those are the visuals that his people want to see. And they're going to say he's successful in getting it when the United States they just published is not going to even get viruses for another six or eight months. For more than they ordered, Indeed. and that's going to be considered a, a success. This is a challenge, of course, uh, considering the fact that one out of every four Israelis at some point was out of a job. Uh, Mr. Olin, I'd like to uh, take another perspective. Uh, most of the issues presented uh, in today's panel are domestic issues, uh, not necessarily on the global scale, but Israel uh, has plenty of challenges when we're talking on the global scale and, uh, of course, both diplomatically and security-related. To what degree now, when uh, there is a projected shift of power in Washington, we see uh, a shift of policy also in Europe, we see different aspects within Russia and, and uh, China with anger from China deriving from American reluctance uh, to allow Israel enter into various deals with uh, uh, China. How is everything now set for Netanyahu to present himself as the person who can steer Israel within the international community, considering the, the drastic shifts that are currently occurring on the global stage? For the last four years, Netanyahu uh, has gotten a pass on the diplomatic front because uh, his dream came true. A Republican administration during his uh, term in the 90s, Clinton was in power, then Obama was in power. They got in uh, at the same time. It was a nightmare. And all of a sudden, 2016, uh, against all expectations, Hillary Clinton loses, Donald Trump wins, and Netanyahu gets four years of uh, calm and um, achievements, at least uh, the way he can uh, show it, the uh, Jerusalem embassy, the Golan Heights, and, and uh, what happened uh, in the Gulf. And significant achievements there. Well, one can argue about that, and one can uh, see how the Biden administration could roll back, not the stylistic side of it. They are not going to move the embassy back. 
By the way, the embassy is still in Tel Aviv. There are very, very few activities going on in Jerusalem. But uh, as we uh, all agree, uh, what is important is what's on television. So if you break the ground for, um, for a new facility, even though the uh, ambassador lives at Tetzlia and 90% or more of his staff are still around it, it doesn't matter. But the question is, how come we are spending now almost half an hour speaking about only one contender? We forgot, we started speaking about Benny Gantz, but he was left by the roadside. We forgot all about him. And the others mentioned Bennett, Lapid. They are secondary figures in this uh, play that Netanyahu is producing, directing, and having uh, a main role in. So uh, President Biden, if he gets his cabinet and uh, staff in order, um, come February, March, could have an impact if he starts going back to the old Obama policies. Well, we're drawing near to the end of the program, and I'd like to still hear uh, your positions on, on the foreign stage aspect. So, uh, Dr. Freeman, we'll start with you. Well, I think, indeed, there are big uh, foreign issues that are at play here. We have a uh, potential change in the White House in terms of uh, policies when it comes to Israel, but also to other countries like China, like Iran, uh, things that could impact the way that the political campaign uh, is held here in Israel. I can tell you that, for example, even though it seems like it was very peaceful between Trump and uh, Netanyahu during these uh, four years, there was increased pressure when it comes to Israel-China uh, relations. That's going to increase even more uh, with the new administration. This could cause uh, big problems in terms of our trade, in terms of our economy, uh, very much if we now move away from Beijing and, and go into the American camp. Uh, I think also the Iranian uh, deal, the nuclear deal that might now involve America rejoining it, that could also be a big uh, part of the campaign here, especially because of uh, Netanyahu and his position that he was able to persuade America to leave it, but now it's, it's going uh, back again. So I think indeed, Developments on the world stage could cause uh, certain aspects on the one hand to maybe strengthen uh, Netanyahu's position, but on the other hand, weaken his position in the eyes of the voters. Uh, Mr. Uh, Barak, you have 50 seconds. Well, I think we're uh, two points, and, and Mr. Arm brought them up very nicely. There's really only one contender here. I mean, at least in the last three elections, we were talking about an alternative, and Kanagans has ruined that for, for himself by going on this uh, political suicide mission by joining a coalition government which has failed miserably. And I think it's a, a very good point of both of the other guests that Biden, President Biden is coming in January 20th. It's going to be a different situation. Netanyahu deep down is hoping that there's going to be, he's going to rush back to the Iranian agreement, that he's going to start criticizing Israel, because that's where Netanyahu wants to be. He wants to be the foil. He wants to be the only guy that can save Israel against this horrible anti-Israel administration that is going to, you know, cause a nuclear catastrophe in Israel by getting together with the Iranians and making us make concessions mm. with the Palestinians. Well, this is all the time that we have for today. So I'd like to thank Dr. Freeman, Mr. Barak, and Mr. Oren for being uh, in today's panel. And I'd like to thank our viewers as well. And we will see you next time. Thank you for joining us in another Jerusalem Studio podcast. For more content on Israel and its region, we invite you to visit our website at tv7israelnews.com and follow us on social media.